All right, hey, John chapter eight is where you wanna go if you have your Bibles. You can turn to John eight. If you're with us for the first time um, and you're on a device, you can go to the ESV and that'll keep you with us. So we're, we've been in this process of seeing Jesus uh, just debating, he's, just, he's, he's going at it with the religious leaders at the time. They, they are people that should have known that Christ was coming. The, all the, all the, the words of scripture that they had known throughout the years had anticipated the coming of Christ. Um, they were waiting for Christ. And then when Christ comes, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, despite the fact um, that he is doing all the things that give evidence that he was sent by God. And so what we've been seeing the last few weeks is just this ongoing debate and this ongoing argument that Jesus has uh, with these religious leaders. And then as he's speaking as he, in the temple, as he's preaching the gospel, um, some people are, are coming into a greater understanding of who he is. Some people it even says, believe him. And then we get that unpacked for us in terms of what it means to believe in him. And so we're, we're gonna see a little bit of that this week as we pick up here in chapter eight, verse 31 through 36. So I'm just gonna read if you wanna follow along. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's the word of the Lord. We're just going to, I know it's shocking. We're only going to do six verses this morning. Um, Give me a little bit of a break here as we're taking a smaller chunk. So what we learn here uh, from Jesus as he's again, speaking to these Jews who had believed him, it tells us is that a disciple of Jesus, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be unpacking. What does it mean? to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus tells us here, a disciple is a person who has been set free from sin to walk with Jesus and remain with him forever. That's truly being a disciple according to Jesus. And you know, we are people, and especially when we talk about younger generations and what is their value and what's important to them, we talk about this word authenticity a lot. Maybe you hear that pop up. Maybe you have kids who are teenagers or they're young adults and they talk about authenticity. I just want to know that somebody is real. I want to know that they're not just trying to sell me something, that they're not just playing a game, that they're not just putting on an act. And you know, there's a sense where we can, we can ascribe that to a younger generation, but that's all of us. Like all of us want a sense of authenticity we, we want to know that the, that the people that are surrounding us, the people that we work with, um, the people that we're friends with, the church family that we worship with, we want there to be a sense that, hey, I can believe your words. Um, you are who you say you are. We were, uh, Melissa and I like to walk. Yesterday was not a great day for walking, but we were like, you know what? We're just going to do it. Um, so we get out of the car and we have this path that we like to walk down. And there, this guy, I mean, you, you think I'm making this stuff up and I'm not. Um, but this guy is just approaches us, right? As we get out of the car in this poncho, looked like he was wearing a tent, you know? And this is what he says. He comes up and he goes, watch for fallen trees. And then just like walked away like that, just <laughs> took off, you know? And I mean, you kind of, 
I mean, I just look over at Melissa and I go, man, it's been one of those weeks, right? It's like, here we are, right? And so we laughed and we just kind of rolled our eyes. Um, and uh, so we started walking down the path and there were like all these falling trees. <laughs> I mean, just literally fallen tree after fallen tree. I'm like, oh my gosh, like the guy was, the guy was right. He was like the tree whisperer or something. Like, I don't know. But there were all these fallen trees, you know, and it was kind of getting ready to storm. And we were like, well, shoot, I don't know. Should we, you know, should we continue on this walk? And then, and we're like, maybe something's going on right now. And then we looked on Facebook a little while later and we saw like a tree almost falling on Jared Aker's van. Like trees are just like falling all over the place, right? Who is this guy is what we were asking, right? Um, we're looking for authenticity. We want to know that what people are saying is true. We want to know we, we can believe their words, right? We want to know that someone is legitimate, that they are who they say they are. We want to make sure that we are, in a spiritual sense, authentic followers of Jesus Christ, right? Are we an authentic follower of Jesus, also known as a disciple? What, what makes that true? Right? When we ask that question, what makes somebody an authentic follower of Jesus? How do you know a true disciple of Jesus? Jesus answers this question for us uh, this morning. But first off, let's talk about this, because maybe when you hear that word disciple, you go, I don't know what you're talking about. Like when you say the word disciple, I think of like the 12 disciples. Um, am I supposed to be one of them? Like I know I'm not one of the 12. Like what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, here's how a guy named Jonathan Parnell, how he would define that for us so that we can get a little bit of a working definition as we uh, step into this. So what he says, the standard definition of disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. And then he says this, he says, so as we apply this to Jesus, he says, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. He says someone who, because of God's grace, conforms their words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. So to be a disciple is really just to be a follower of Jesus, to be a, a learner of Jesus, to have lives that as, his, as the ways and words of Jesus have been modeled to us, we conform our lives to those ways and words. We imitate Jesus. Who he is, we are becoming. So what are some of the words and ways Jesus has for those who are truly his disciples? In other words, how do you know a true disciple when you look out and then when you look inside? And so Jesus answers that question for us as he speaks, by the way, to this group of Jews uh, who we are told originally believed in Jesus, but it turns out they didn't really believe in him at, at all, right? Because as Jesus unpacks what it means to be a disciple, they actually don't conform to those words and those ways. So this is what we're going to look at today. A true disciple is someone who what? Fill in the blank. Well, the first thing we look at is that a true disciple is someone who abides in God's word. Someone who abides in God's word. So what that means for us is that when we say abiding in God's words, this is what we're talking about. We mean abiding in Jesus Christ himself. Remaining in Jesus Christ himself, walking with Jesus Christ uh, himself, right? What does that mean to do that then? Well, this, a guy named Sinclair Ferguson, he's a pastor and a theologian. This is what, how he describes it. He says, abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. We talk a lot about 
that here, at, uh, usually every Sunday morning, right? Allowing the word of God to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. And to do that means we, we learn from his word, we follow his words, and we remain in his word. That's what it means to abide in God's word, to abide with Jesus. This shows us that a, a true disciple of Jesus is, is not just someone who intellectually says, I believe Jesus, but is literally uh, allowing his words to fill our minds, direct our wills, transform our affections. In fact, the words of Jesus, they're so powerful that when they transform a person's heart, that person doesn't just shake itself free of his word. Right, so if, you're, if your heart has been transformed by the word of Jesus, like you are going to abide by the words of Jesus. So powerful is the transforming effect that they have on your heart. You're gonna remain with Jesus. You're gonna abide with Jesus. You're gonna walk with Jesus. Why? Because it's who you are now. It's who you are. That's what he's getting at when he uses that word abide. It's kind of like what you guys are all gonna do this week is have... Super frustrating time painting Easter eggs, you know? Um, but it's like that first time when you pour that Easter egg dye in a cup of water. If you do like we do, kind of old school, right? Um, what happens is that the dye, it, it, what happens? It, it permeates the water. It doesn't leave any of it uncolored, right? You, you don't just pour like purple dye into a cup and have it only take up part of the glass. Hey, look, part of it's clear, mom. It's like, no, 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 no. It, the dye permeates all of the water, Right? The die is that effective. Abiding in God's word means remaining with Jesus because your heart now has been changed to remain with him, to walk with him, to stay with him. It's like bringing a kid to Cedar Point, right? You tell them to stay with you. Why? So that you can keep your eye on them, so that you can make sure they're safe, so that you can feed them when it's time to eat, right? These are the benefits they will enjoy by remaining with you as you have asked them to remain with you. So abiding or remaining with a person, what does it indicate? Indicates a relationship. It indicates a relationship. If you have a spouse, you, you, you live with them in the same house usually, right? You eat with them at the same table. You relax with them in the same room. If you lived in a different house, if you slept in a different room, you, you took separate vacations, you really wouldn't be like abiding with that person, right? Somebody would like look on the outside and go, I mean, are you even married to that person? Why do you guys do everything separately? Why are you never together? That's what Jesus is trying to point out today when he says, abide with me. Those who abide with me, you are truly my disciples, Right? We, we understand that intrinsically from the rest of our relationships. So if you're, a, if you're a disciple who abides in God's word, this is evidence that God's word has transformed you into a true disciple. Why? Because everything changes. Everything changes in you. The things you love change. The things you hate change. The things you value change. The things you desire change. The way you see the world, the hopes you have for the future, the way you're able to understand, even articulate your past, the way you even look at some of the ways you've had to suffer. Everything changes, right? And by the way, it's all slow change. Change is slow. It's slow change. But abiding in God's word for a lifetime as one of his true disciples is why you even have the opportunity to experience change at all. 
right? You know, what we see when somebody is not abiding in God's word or remaining with Jesus is that you usually see them drifting. You usually see them like kind of fading away, drifting apart, right? They drift from their church family. Um, they drift from personal time um, and prayer in God's word. Those things become neglected. Pursuing the things of God with fervency become neglected. But Jesus says here in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let's turn to the book of Psalms because we see the effect of what it means to abide in God's word, to remain with Christ. Turn to Psalm chapter one. This is how the entire this, this is how the entire book of Psalms opens up for us. You can turn there. I'm going to start reading. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the words of the Lord. And on his law or his words, he meditates day and night. Look what happens to the dude or the woman who does this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we, we get this understanding here from the Psalms that says those who remain with God are like trees who will be well watered in good soil. And when the harsh seasons come, they're going to make it through. They're going to endure. That's one of the characteristics of you. You are going to be somebody that is going to go through hard times. And it's just going to bear down on you. And you're going to feel grief. You're going to lose stuff. You're going to bleed out. And you are going to endure. Your leaf will not wither. God will preserve you. One of the marks of a disciple is that you remain in Jesus. You are preserved through the seasons of your life. By this, people will know that you truly are a disciple of him. The second thing is this. What does it look like to be a true disciple? The second thing is knowing God's truth. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now here's the interesting thing. You can only know God's truth if you are truly a disciple who abides in God's word. Funny how that works, right? Um, a relationship with Jesus, listen to this. It's so much more than just reading the words of Jesus and saying like, I guess that's cool. Or that seems fine. Or I'm not really offended by that. I ain't got no problem with that. Or this seems like something good to be influenced by. These seem like words that maybe I want to add next to like my Robert Frost poems in the morning. That's not what this is, right? It's so much more than just reading words, right? Somebody who is abiding with Jesus, remaining with him, knowing God's truth. It means that there is some transformative work that is happening in you because of what's happened in you, right? It's so much more than just those things. All of that language means that if we are not people who actually are abiding with Jesus and don't know his truth, it means that we're still enslaved. That's what Jesus is trying to say uh, to these Jewish people who on one hand looked like they believed him, but they were just receiving his words without pushback. 
That's not the same as believing, right? He's saying it means that you are still enslaved to your own mind. You are enslaved to your own will. You're enslaved to your own affections. It means that you are a puppet to your desires. It's like you have a desire here. It has strings. They connect your heart. And those desires just pulling your heart in whatever direction they want to pull in. And you go, okay. Yeah, that or that or that or that, right? Does that make sense? You're a puppet to your own desires. Whatever direction your heartstrings pull you in, you follow. Why? Because you don't know God's truth. Because you're enslaved to sin is what Jesus is telling us. The Jews told Jesus, hey, buddy, that's my paraphrase. Uh, we aren't enslaved to anyone, which is preposterous, actually. Um, and they said that because they were like, hey, Abraham, he's our great, 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 I don't know how many times, grandfather. And they put a lot of stock in bloodlines, kind of like we do these days, right? It matters who you come from, right? They put a lot of stock in that, right? Now, what's so crazy is that when you look at the Jewish people and you read through scripture, it's like these people were enslaved like all the time. Remember just Egyptian, just, just Egyptian slavery alone to say that they've never been enslaved. They were in fact enslaved to the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Philistines and to other nations where they had been exiled over the years. But they would, they would only acknowledge that they were a nation under God. Right? And that's what they're doing as they're arguing with Jesus here. But Jesus, listen to this, he doesn't let them veer away from this. He doesn't let them veer away from this truth, which is that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's like, don't give me the Abraham stuff. Don't give me the Abraham stuff. Right? Remember John the Baptist who said, if he wanted to raise offspring of Abraham from these rocks on the ground, he can do that. Like, don't try to use your bloodline to say that somehow you're okay. Because it's just not what makes a person okay. You're still a slave to sin because you're still practicing sin. Your bloodline has nothing to do with whether you truly are a disciple. What's so interesting is that our minds will desire everything but Jesus in order to get us closer to God. And we'll go through every, we'll go through every other channel. Just tell me, tell me something that can get me close to God that doesn't include Jesus. I don't want to have to submit to him. I don't want to have to abide with him, remain with him. Just tell me, is there some other path? And all Jesus is ever saying is, there ain't. That's how I would have said it. I would use the word ain't. He said, there ain't. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me, right? To know God's truth is to first be known by Jesus himself, to have a relationship with him where we get to know him more deeply as he deepens us in his words. It's it's a beautiful and a gracious gift to truly be a disciple of Jesus whose words have transformed your entire life. It's so sad to believe that something else could be the equivalent to that. It's so sad to think that someday you could face Jesus and the only thing you have to say to him is, you know, just so we're clear, my, ba- my, my family were church-going, God-loving, Bible-reading, non-cussing people, so we're good, right? And we laugh at that, right? But like there's, there's a part of us that, that if we come from particular traditions or, or particular family backgrounds, th- there's a sense where we gotta break out of that way of thinking, right? I was born a Christian, Ronnie, you know? Um, how does being born into a family equal someone who has been set free from being a practitioner 
of sin. You've seen how your babies are born. You've seen, they're like two months old and they're already like rebelling against you because they won't eat the food. They won't sleep the sleep, right? They're practitioners of sin. It's like someone with a fatal disease saying, but my mom is a doctor, so I'm actually not really sick, right? I'm good. It makes no sense. It makes no sense for God to love you so deeply that he sent Jesus to eradicate your sin disease just for you to turn around and say, here's some other options if you're uncomfortable with trusting Jesus, right? A true disciple moves closer to Jesus by learning and knowing God's truth. Knowing God's truth. There's a difference between facts versus knowing, right? So last night, gosh, man, we're driving home late and uh, look back, sirens are on, got a police officer pulling me over. I looked at Melissa and I said, they finally got me. <laughs> I, was, I was crying, they're finally catching up to me. I was like, babe, they caught us. We moved to Ohio 13 years ago, but looks like the feds got us. Um, so he pulls me over and he comes up and I don't, this, this, is a, this is a really dark back road. We were about 30 minutes from the house. And uh, he goes, do you know how fast you were going? He always asks you that. Do you know how fast you were going, right? And I'm like, ah, oh, I know you're going to tell me, so I'm not even going to try to guess, you know? And I didn't feel like I was going fast. And he said, you were going 45 and a 25. And I was like, I was like, okay. And again, picture this back road. There, there's nothing in this. There's like coyotes and deer. There's not a house inside. There's no, I mean, it is like the middle of nowhere, but it was 25 miles an hour. I didn't, I didn't realize it was 25. And um, he goes, you're going 45 and a 25. And I said, well, okay. So um, he comes back. He was like the nicest guy. He like came back and he said, hey, he goes, guess what? And I went, oh, do I have to guess? You know, <laughs> he kept asking me these trick questions and I, and uh, he goes, I'm not going to ruin your night. He said, I'm just going to give you a warning, hand me back my license, save you $25,000, <laughs> traffic ticket. And um, I was like, oh, man, that is so kind. Thank you. you know, I don't deserve it. You know? I, you know, there's a difference between knowing what's true and actually living into it, right? If I know the speed limit is 25 miles an hour, I need to drive 25 miles an hour, Right? I mean, I know a lot of pastors think they're above the law. Actually, I'm not one of those guys. You know, I need to drive the speed limit. There's a difference between facts versus knowing. If all I ever told you about Melissa is that she's five foot one and has blue eyes, how does that help for anything other than if she like ever got kidnapped, right? How, how does that help? Like if she comes to me and she says things like, hey, Ronnie, I'm really anxious. I'm really fearful. And all I say is, Baby, you are five foot one with green eyes. Everything's going to be okay, right? She would say, well, you don't really know me very well, do you? And by the way, my eyes are blue, not green, buddy. <laughs> I've walked into that a few times. That's why I said that. It's knowing God. It's being known by God, right? There's a difference between just that and knowing some scriptures that maybe you've learned along the way. Just with J.I. Packer uh, this is what he suggests. He, sa he says, knowing God requires that we diligently explore the multifaceted ways in which God has revealed himself in scripture. It involves a close heartfelt study of God's attributes and actions, which in turn bears the fruit of fellowship with God and passionate adoration and celebration of who he is 
and what he has done. But, but if, we're, if we're just merely the opposite of, of that person, if we're a practitioner of sin, we are slaves is what Jesus is saying. If you are not known by God and you don't know the word of God because you abide with Jesus and you know him in that sense, then you also, and this is our third point, you, you don't remain in God's house, right? Because a slave doesn't remain in the house forever. He moves on. But a son, a child of the owners of a house, they remain in the house forever. And that's our third point is that a true disciple remains in God's house forever. Once you are a son or daughter, your status has changed. It has been transferred. When you're set free from sin, it means you will remain in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to go back to the Psalms and just read this really beautiful passage from David. Psalm 27, if you want to turn there real quick. Psalm 27, 4, David writes, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So those who abide in God's word, who remain with Jesus, who know the truth of God, they abide in the safety and protection and care and security of God forever. That's what it means to be in God's house forever. It's not because you know things about God. It's not because you have a, 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 a God-fearing family. It's not because you went to Christian camp and walked down the aisle 17 times. That's not what it's about, right? It's about has there been that internal change that has just reversed your affections, reversed your will towards the things of God, towards the son that God has sent. Look at what it says in verses 13 and 14 there. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's just such a beautiful promise that David offers us. And he says, wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, right? So there is something about remaining in the house of God forever. It requires waiting, right? Because we're still going through stuff. Because we haven't reached the end of that time where we're gonna see Jesus face to face. Man, we are still in process. Like all of you guys are in process. This is a progressive work that God is doing. He's drawn you closer to him. He's making you remain more and more. Like your remaining is the direct effect and result of God saying, this dude's gonna remain with me. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. I remember when my older brother and sister, when they, they're about 10 years older than me, so there's a big gap between my, my older brother, uh, Keith, and Kim, my sister Kim, and then I came about 10 years later, and I remember when they left the house, I was still young when they left the house, and my parents said, I remember, th I remember them saying to each of them when this moment happened, this is always your home. They said, you never have to ask to come home. The doors are always open. And I was like, they should probably still ask, right? I mean, we don't wanna go that far with it, mom and dad, do we, right? Um, but the point was that their home would always be open because they were forever part of the family. It was, ex it was exclusive, right? Um, they were truly the children of my, my parents. Other people don't have that privilege, bless you. 
Um, they don't have that privilege. They can't just walk in to my mom's house just unannounced. They don't know where the hide key is like we all do, right? That was something intrinsic about being uh, a son or daughter of my parents. And that is the kind of privilege we have if we are people who are abiding with Jesus. Because being a disciple of Jesus, it means something, right? It, it looks like something. It implies something. It, re- it provides you with something that you wouldn't otherwise have. Here's three things I want us to remember before we go, okay? Given all of that truth. Abiding is not striving. Abiding Remaining is not striving. All right, Keith Green, if you guys remember him, a singer, a songwriter from the 70s, died tragically in 1982. He was very young, but he wrote some really great songs. Here was a lyric he wrote. He said, my son, my son, why are you striving? You can't add one thing to what's been done for you. I did it all while I was dying. Rest in your faith. My peace will come to you. Piece of cake, except it's so hard to abide and not strive, but rest in the work of Jesus, the work that he continues to do in you and to let your peace come from that. Jesus spoke in John 15. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he said. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing, right? It means that we can do nothing before the Lord that is going to be in honor of him, that is going to be a way that we can please him, that can be in a way that he is receiving hearts that have been changed Wills that have been changed, affections that have been changed. That's what he means. Abiding is not striving. Remaining with Jesus is actually the way that on one hand, we battle our sin. We battle the things that are pushing against us, trying to prevent us from growing closer to Christ, remaining in him, knowing his word. But it's also the place that because of that, we actually experience the grace of Jesus. We actually experience the peace of Christ, right? Abiding is not striving. You know what? That's such a hard concept, man. I read that and I go, I I almost, like I deleted that three times. I said, do I want to go there? Because that's so hard for me to understand and unpack. And I said, yes, because the Christian life is about things that we are growing in our understanding of as we are unpacking them, right? It's that we are growing in them and unpacking them. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get a package from Amazon, I mean, they have package that thing as if they don't want me to open it. I mean, I got scissors. I pretty, I, before I know it, like I got like half my toolbox on the kitchen counter. I still can't get that box open, right? But the point is, is that I'm getting it open and the prize is in it. And that's a picture of the Christian faith. You're opening that box, right? The Lord has given you the tools. You are unpacking those things. It's hard, but it's worth it. Secondly, knowing is being known. The only reason why we know Jesus is because Jesus knows us, right? First Corinthians 8, 3, Paul says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. How do you know if you're known by God? Because you love God. It's funny how that works. Galatians 4, 8, Paul says, formerly when you did not know God, he's mimicking Jesus' words here, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. 
But now that you've come to know God, or rather, he says, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So take comfort in the fact that knowing God's truth is only possible because you are known by the God of truth. What a great thing. He knows you. And you can know him because of that knowledge, that intimate knowledge he has of you. And sometimes that's scary, right? Because that's, that goes even deeper than a laser into the depth of your soul. But take comfort, Substance Church, because there's grace and mercy in that laser beam of love that goes straight to your heart and your soul. Third and finally, we know that freedom is forever. What a comfort right at the end that he lays out when he says, you will be, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, there's no qualification there. You will be free-ish. Right, he doesn't have the apostrophe I-S-H. He says, you will be free indeed. You'll be free from the bondage of sin. It doesn't mean you will be free politically. It doesn't mean you will be free physically. That's what they were arguing about. We've never been enslaved. It means you don't have sin clouding your mind and veiling your heart from the love, truth, and grace of Christ. To be truly a disciple of Jesus means that you are following Jesus wherever you go. Wherever you go. When you drive to work, you're actually following Jesus. When you spend time with your friends and family, you're actually following Jesus. When you're at the store shopping for groceries, you're actually following Jesus. When you're watching the first Major League Baseball game of the season for 12 hours straight, because that's how long those games are, you're actually following Jesus. A disciple of Jesus sees his or her entire life being lived under that beautiful reality. And what a joy and privilege to have been set free from sin, to walk with Jesus and remain with him forever. That's authenticity. It doesn't mean you never make a mistake. It means that your mistakes are swallowed up by something greater than your own sin. Right? Amen? And the beauty, too, is that Jesus uses true disciples to transform other disciples and followers of Jesus. So it's not just about you, right? It begins with you, and then it just funnels out from you to everybody else. How does Jesus make disciples? He makes disciples by making disciples who then remain with him and create a light that shines into the hearts of other people who will then come to be disciples just like they are. What a beautiful system, if we can call it that, that he put into place. And this is how we can live our lives. This is how we can truly be disciples as the church. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for showing us very simply, even though it's very difficult, what it means to truly be a disciple. Thank you, Lord, that um, as we remain with you, what's most significant about that is that you remain with us. We only can remain with you because you remain with us. Uh, we are the branches, you are the vine. And abiding with you means that we recognize our fragility, our weaknesses, and how badly we need to be dependent on you for everything that we do. So thank you, Lord, as we consider our lives and we think, gosh, I don't know if I really remain 
or abide with him or know his truth very well. Well, luckily, we are not the ones that need to build up arms strong enough to embrace because we are embraced by you. Lord, thank you for that truth. Lord, give us perseverance. Let us be disciples, Lord, who are growing in our love for you, our affection for you, change our wills, continue to transform our desires, um, continue to draw us to a place where we just love the things you love, we hate the things you hate, and as we are growing in that, in that love and that hate, we are also growing in grace and mercy towards how we express that. So, Lord, continue to walk with us. Thank you for your, for your gift to us. Lord, if anybody doesn't know you today who isn't truly a disciple, I pray that they would consider their place before you, their sin before you, um, that they are a slave to sin, that they do need to go before you and repent of their sin so that they can experience life, so that they can truly be a disciple who is known by you, who knows you, and who will remain in your house forever. I pray you would do that work in their heart, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.